0: facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the program on this Thursday. So glad you're with me today. And you can call this number to talk to me for free. It's our listener line, 1-888-914-9149, one 914 9149 You can also email the program. Great to hear from you. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, at kaleclark, and the show account is at kaleclarkshow. Hey, I've got a question for you. Have you given up something for Lent, specifically coffee? Is it, is it killing you to do that? Are you a cappuccino guy or gal? Are you into macchiatos or Americanos? Do you drink coffee all day long? Do you always say to yourself, man, there's just too much blood in the coffee system? Even on the drive home, like right now, you might be doing just that, sipping a coffee on your commute. Uh, if so, I want to know triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Are you Catholics in cars getting coffee? And that's of course an allusion to the Seinfeld comedy series, comedians in cars getting coffee on Netflix, which is always funny. I love Seinfeld. I know not everybody loves loves him, but uh, I always thought he was great, just a genius. But I bet you didn't know. About the Catholic origins of coffee. We're going to talk later about how you really feel about commuting to work, plus more faith facts and fun. It's going to be a great show. It's not going to be a show about nothing like Seinfeld, but we're going to have a lot of fun together. 888-914-9149. We'll also have our Memento Mori moment for today in Lent, but that's going to come up later in the show today. Well, I got thinking about coffee because I I, I, can't, I I read this incredible thread on Twitter from the Cultural Tutor. Now th- th- this guy is really really good. He he gives a lot of great historical lessons every week on Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, you can follow him at Cultural Tutor at Cultural Tutor T U T O R, not the tutors. That's another historical uh, story for another day, but. He asked the question, where does your daily cappuccino actually come from? And it actually is a pretty amazing story. So I'm going to take you on this journey with me, and I think you're really, really going to love it. It actually involves everything from the Ottoman siege of Vienna in 1683 to a group of Italian monks. There is a Catholic secret to the origins of coffee, and Believe it or not, a Polish spy it's like something out of a James Bond novel or movie so let me just share with you what the cultural tutor had to say about this. The story actually begins seven hundred years ago with a city in Yemen called Mocha. Okay, Some of you like your mocha frappuccinos? Well, there's a city in Yemen called mocha and where does coffee actually come from? The clue is in the name. See, the word coffee is actually an anglicization of the Dutch word kofie. Now, I, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. That's what they used to tell me. All my Dutch friends, they're in jest, of course. But I, so I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, kofie. That, in turn, that word, that Dutch word, comes in turn from the Italian word "cafe." But cafe comes from the Turkish word kave. And again, I, I apologize for mispronouncing that. That comes from the Turkish word kave, which itself originated in the Arabic word kawa. Kawa. Now, Q-A-H-W-A. So again, if I'm butchering any of those pronunciations, I humbly beg for your forgiveness. Now, where did coffee actually come from? Now, that's where the name came from. But where on the planet did it originally come from? The answer is, I should actually throw this out as a listener quiz question, but we got to keep moving with this. So I'll give you the answer. The answer is Ethiopia, Ethiopia. And in Ethiopia, there are all kinds of legends involving mystics, shepherds, all kinds of stories. I don't know if any of them are true or maybe one or two of them or I don't know. But they, they they kind of try to explain how people first discovered it and came to drink it. Hey, maybe we should drink this stuff Now by the fourteenth century, coffee had reached Yemen, and from Yemen that's where it actually spread all around the Middle East. The city of Mocha, if you're wondering where Mocha comes from, well, <clears throat> Mocha is a city in Yemen, and that was the beating heart of the coffee trade for centuries, exporting beans to the Ottoman Empire and all over Europe. And they just loved it in the Ottoman Empire. They just put their feet up on their Ottomans, drink their coffee, and say, let's take over the world. But anyway, so the city of Mocha, they were responsible for exporting coffee beans to the Ottoman Empire and all over Europe. And that is where you get the name Cafe Mocha. That's where that comes from. Also, there's something called, uh, I, I'm not quite sure what this is. Um, I love coffee. I'm a huge coffee drinker. But uh, I have friends that are like coffee fiends. They, they just know everything about the history of coffee. So I'll have to ask my friend Dave about this. There's a guy named Alfonso Bialetti. And apparently he came up with the world famous mocha pot, which is spelled M-O-K-A-P-O-T. The mocha pot. And that—that's anyway—that's—that's that's where the city, uh, Mocha spawned the Mocha Pot. Anyways, the Ottoman Empire obviously coffee was hugely popular there, and that's where coffee culture—that's where coffee culture, as we know it today, first kind of got going. In the year 1475, a coffee house called Kiva Han was opened in Istanbul. And that was soon followed by thousands more coffee houses all across the very vast, at the time, Ottoman Empire. So how about that? 1475, the first coffee house was open. And they were drinking, guess what? Turkish coffee in Istanbul. No no bowl there, it's true. Turkish coffee, how do you make it? You boil water with finely ground beans in a, uh, and again, I, I don't quite know how to pronounce this, a sesvi sesve? sesve? C E Z V E. I'll just, I'll, yeah, my producer just told me, just just sound confident. Even if you don't know what you're talking about, people might think that you will. All right, so Turkish coffee, you make it by preparing boiling water and finely ground coffee beans in a sesvi. Yep, I, I'm 100% sure that's, what, that's how you pronounce it. And that has been the way that people have been drinking it for centuries. But of course, as we know, coffee houses were never just about the drink itself. They've always been places of socializing, conversation, gossip. Imagine that. That's a sin. But people still did it. Politics. Sometimes gossip involving politics. And entertainment. Or infotainment, if you will. So, the Ottoman Empire, as they were trading with other nations, that's how coffee kind of spread throughout all of Europe. First got into Italy, through the great port cities of Venice, Naples, and Trieste. And that's why so many uh, coffee-related words and terms have roots in the, in, in the Italian language. What about France? Well, eventually coffee made its way to France with the Ottoman ambassador in the year 1669. So he basically took it with him when he went to France. And as it began to spread across Europe, it had kind of a checkered reputation, if you will. Doctors actually thought it was great because it would help people... It would really help to aid people's digestion. And if you're a coffee drinker, you know that it can kind of keep things moving, and that's all I'll say about that. Scholars, oh, in in the great universities and lecture halls of Europe, they loved this new drink called coffee because it helped them stay awake for long, long hours studying and working. However, it wasn't always kosher for Catholics to drink coffee. In fact, it was called the devil's drink imagine that, it was called the Devil's Drink Pope Clement VIII he was like, no, no this is good, and he actually gave official papal approval to coffee and don't call it that, it's good stuff I drink it, I love it, and so should you hey listen, I don't know if Pope Clement VIII is a canonized saint, but he should be totally canonized just for <laughs> giving his rubber stamp of approval to coffee, thank you thank you Pope Clement VIII, uh, you've done a great service for humanity Anyway, so now that it's okay for Catholics to drink it, as you can imagine, its popularity spread more and more across Europe. And the first coffee house in Europe was founded in Venice, in somewhere in the, in the decade of the 1640s. And then they started appearing all over Europe. Uh, merchants would set them up. Uh, immigrants would set them up. And they were modeled after these original Ottoman Empire coffee shops. And again, people would do the same sorts of stuff there. They would socialize. They would try to be entertained. They'd gossip. They'd talk politics. They'd talk sports, probably. Whatever the sports of the 1640s were, I have no idea. But, hey, have you seen that wrestling match? I don't know. Uh, but a crucial moment came in 1683 when the Ottomans tried to siege Vienna. And it didn't work. It, it completely failed. But as the Turkish army was retreating, as they left... One of the soldiers left behind sacks of coffee beans, just tons of them. And he was responsible for, for kind of keeping guard of them. And he was like, I'm out of here. I can't carry these with me. I've got to flee. I'm going to get killed. So he just left them there. And that's where the Polish spy comes in. There was a Polish diplomat, di- diplomat who apparently was also a spy. And his name was Jersey Franciszek Kolchicki. Jersey Franciszek Kolchicki. And what Jersey, I'm just going to call him Jersey from now on, because that's a tough one. But Jersey, I might want to call him St. Jersey. Anyways, he, he opened the first coffee house in Vienna using these Turkish beans that were left behind. And this is, this is amazing that nobody thought of this before. But our friend Jersey, the Polish diplomat and spy, he also made the revolutionary decision for the first time in human history to add milk to coffee. Wow! Thank you, Jersey. That's amazing. You and and uh, Pope Clement the Eighth should all should both be canonized saints for this. But people actually, although during Lent, I'm I'm really uh, mortifying myself by not not drinking milk in my coffee. But it, uh, although I, I no, well, no no, I just noticed I have some milk in my coffee on my desk. Oh, I I I'm cheating. I'm cheating. How about that? Yeah. Well, thanks, Patrick. And. People people notice that when a few drops of milk were actually added to coffee, and this is where the Catholic angle comes in, by the way, people. People notice that when a few drops of milk were added to coffee, it took on the brown color of the robes worn by the Capuchin monks uh, that were known as the capuziner Cap, in German, and that's where the modern Cappuccino gets its name. So how about that? The Capuchin monks during the 18th century let's fast forward here during the 18th century the number of coffee houses was skyrocketing all around Europe they were a vital gathering place that was neither work church home nor centered around alcohol they weren't like the it wasn't like the bars it wasn't like the pubs where people would tend to unfortunately commit the, uh, the sin of drunkenness it's a mortal sin by the way uh so it was a different it was a different kind of place it it's interesting too because I don't think things have changed too much in that front. Uh, Howard Schultz, uh, founder, CEO of Starbucks, he, he always talks about Starbucks locations, and this could be true of any coffee house, being what he called a third place between work and home, a third place where you can go and just do different stuff there. And so th- this is essentially what happened across Europe. They became gathering places, these coffee shops. It wasn't work. It wasn't church. It wasn't home. And it wasn't a pub. So what do people do there? Well, they would talk about ideas. <coughs> Apparently, the, during the coffeehouse uh, era in Europe, that's where a lot of ideas that made their way into the Enlightenment uh, really were formed, I guess, um, over cappuccinos. And some of those ideas were not great. In the year 1735, the composer Johann Sebastian Bach actually wrote a piece of music that was called the Coffee Cantata. And I actually have uh, some lines from that song. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a modern artist wants to wants to redo this. So this this is Bach in his sweet hymn to coffee. He says, Oh, how sweet coffee does taste better than a thousand kisses. I guess he didn't meet many girls, but anyways, better than a thousand kisses, coffee, coffee, I've got to have it. And if someone wants to perk me up, oh, just give me a cup of coffee. But by the way, did you know that Sylvester Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know know how they're kind of trying to... Great action stars of the 80s and 90s. Do you you know that they're actually making a movie about, get this, the great composers? Did you hear about this? Stallone said, hey, guys, guys, in this movie, I think I'm going to play Beethoven. And Van Damme says, "I, I will play Mozart. I will play Mozart. And then they turn to Arnold. He says, Guys, guys, don't do it. Don't make me say it. Don't make me say it. All right, all right. I'll be back. I'll be back. I've been waiting for a way to I've been waiting for a, a way to shoehorn that joke into the show for about three weeks and I, I think I finally found my opening. And by the way, in the back I can't believe how quick on the draw you are, Patrick Halogs. You are now listening to The Coffee Cantata by J. S. Bach, right now on the Cale Clark Show. So history comes alive once again on relevant radio. (laughs) Alright, well you can keep playing that in the background, I'll tell you what happened after this. We'll just tone it down a little bit, but during the 19th century, in large part thanks to the industrial revolution, coffee was well on the way to becoming a global industry. New technology allowed for its production on a vast scale and coffee advertising became a big industry, went through the roof. However, eventually they they could not supply enough coffee beans for the ever-burgeoning industry. Again, the original beans came from Ethiopia through Yemen, but unfortunately, a a lot of European powers back ever since the 1600s, they were operating coffee plantations in the colonies and tragically, those were usually worked by slave labor. But in the year 1852, Brazil, which was then independent. By this point, Brazil was an independent country. In 1852, Brazil became the world's largest exporter of coffee. Now, in England, they kind of went away from coffee houses. They decided to go and drink tea. Let them drink tea. And, of course, the Boston Tea Party. Obviously, tea had a lot to do with the British experience. It still does. Have a cuppa. Have a cuppa. If you ever talk to a, a Brit, you know what I'm talking about. But coffee houses were replaced by tea houses in England, but in in the rest of Europe they were still going through the roof. People were just loving coffee. People were going to coffee houses, grab one before work, after work, very similar to today. But it was in the late 19th and early 20th centuries that coffee houses actually got their reputation as hubs for writers, artists, creative types. Maybe like Peter Atkinson from the Merry Beggars. This is the kind of place that he would hang out in. Paris, Vienna, Buenos Aires. Artists like Picasso, uh, writers like Hemingway, they, they, just a couple of the of the giants who would spend time at the famous Le Dôme cafe in Paris. Now, one last thing: some of you guys like espressos. Well, the and it's by the way, it's not espresso with an X; it's espresso with an S, as in Superman. The earliest espresso machine was invented in the year 1884 by Angelo Moriando but it was really improved upon the technique, the the, the machine was perfected by Luigi Bezzera in 1901 in Italy and in Milan and it would, it would take until the 1950s for espresso to become widespread as a, as a methodology but that fundamentally changed the way coffee was consumed but now in the 21st century coffee Wow, it's it's a massive, massive industry. All kinds of international companies, all kinds of different ways to drink coffee. There's Dunkin' Donuts coffee. There's Starbucks. There is high-end art, artisanal cafes. They're there, there kind of you know gas station coffee. You can have it any way you want. But the coffee house itself really has not changed much since it was created in the Ottoman Empire six centuries ago, and it remains crucial to a lot of us. So this is a really cool uh, tweet thread, a tweet storm by the cultural tutor on the history of coffee, which has a lot of Catholic stuff in it. And again, Pope Clement VIII, thank you, thank you for (laughs) removing coffee from the banned drinks list. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm so appreciative of that Well, have you given up coffee for Lent? If so, how much of a cross has it been for you? Are you drinking one right now as you're listening to me on the road? Let me know. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back on The Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. to Perk you up once again.
1: down among Brazilians. Coffee beans grow by the billions, so they've got to find those extra cups to fill. They've got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil.
0: You can't... Today we'd like to thank Sarah, who's listening in California, for donating her Mitsubishi Mighty Max pickup. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car today.
2: Coming out my hair, I drink forty cups of coffee. Forty cups of coffee. Forty cups of coffee
0: waiting for you to come home. Yeah, forty cups of coffee. I usually do that before lunch. Triple Eight, nine one four, nine one four nine. Scale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, eight 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 nine one four. 9149 we've been talking about coffee today's episode is called Catholics and cars getting coffee and I wanted to ask you guys I gave the secret history of coffee before the break if you missed that oh man you missed some intriguing info that I didn't know until uh, the cultural tutor uh, schooled me on this and and I just I just love it and if you missed it you can check the podcast after the show on the relevant radio app or relevant dot-com but asked you guys, did you give up coffee for Lent? Are you sitting in the car listening to me on your commute, drinking coffee as we speak? Why don't you call in, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Susan, who is in New Jersey. Hi, Susan. Hi. How you doing?
2: I'm doing well, thank you. But I gave up coffee for Lent. You did. And it's very, very difficult. But I wanted to... <laughs> and I... Well, what I find myself doing is substituting the caffeine in the coffee with tea.
0: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So I don't know if I'm if I'm cheating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering. That. I didn't want to say it, but, but no, uh, you know, hey, you know, maybe it's. I mean, it, there's obviously a lot less caffeine in tea usually. I mean, there's some pretty strong caffeinated teas as well. But um, but hey, you, you you're giving it up. You're doing you're doing something. So keep keep it up. Keep keep going. And uh, I hope your Lenten journey is yeah will perk up your faith. I hope so. I hope so, Susan. A, a lot of people are giving it up. I, I must confess, Susan, you're 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 stronger than I am. I, I have I can't do it. I can't give up coffee. I can't. But I I have given up uh, milk in my coffee. I'm trying to drink a black trying to drink some people some people love drinking black coffee but anyways go ahead susan a little bit helps right yeah yeah yeah. every little bit helps you got it you got hey thank you for your call susan god bless you susan in new jersey yeah coffee talk with linda richmond remember that skit saturday night live all right mike myers my fellow canadian by the way let's go now to mike in what many call america's finest city san diego california hi mike
3: how you doing? Good afternoon. Hey, good to have you. Good to have you. So I gave it up, and I've I've done this a lot. I'm better off giving it up cold turkey. But this year, uh-huh. I gave okay. up sweet drinks. So I decided, drinks, okay, okay, I just won't put creamer in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And drinking black coffee is like drinking dirt. <laughs> it's not that bad. I think I think the well, key is. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, I've, so I have been cheating and adding some milk just to tone it down a bit. Uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's, different. The, it's the sugars that kill you. Um, when I when I when I first started uh, drinking coffee, I almost feel like drinking coffee. Maybe I'm wrong about this. It's almost like when you start off drinking beer, and, and again, everything in moderation. But I don't think anybody likes the taste of beer the first time they have it. I, that just it could be me, but I remember my dad when I was a kid gave me like the tiniest, the tiniest little fra- like drops of, of his, the bottom of his beer bottle which is the worst part, you know, at the end. You see what it tastes like. Oh, oh, I don't really like this. And I, maybe he's trying to turn me off of it, but didn't work, dad. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, having said that, I, I, I did give up, I did give up beer for Lent and, and yeah, which is a, a good thing I think to do. So I, I, I gave it up, I gave it up. But it, when it, the first time I tried, tried drinking coffee, it was in university, and I'm I'm trying to study, I'm trying to stay awake, and I would put 18 packets of sugar in my coffee. I mean, it was really bad. Now, at the time, I, I weighed 120 pounds, I was super skinny, and my metabolism was in overdrive, and I, I never put on the weight anyway, so I guess it didn't matter. Not that it was a good thing to be dumping that much refined sugar into my into my body, but over time, less and less and less, and then eventually, a few years ago, I actually cut sugar out of my coffee altogether. And the next phase is trying to get rid of milk. Cream, forget about that. It's too much fat in it. So I went to milk, trying to get rid of that as well. I th- I think, Mike, I think if you have a quality, quality coffee, you can drink it black. And it's smooth and it tastes good. Um, if it's bad quality coffee, it might taste like what you're describing, <laughs> like drinking dirt, as you said. But, um, Mike, God bless you. It's a good penance, I think. It's a good penance. And uh,
3: Indeed, indeed. God bless you. Well, I... I agree with you, and I will tell you though, my favorite store-bought and coffee uh-huh. is Seven Eleven coffee. Really interesting, interesting. It's uh, you know, it's just it's just a regular cup of Joe. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, there. Well, if it if it works for you, if you like the flavor, then then roll with it. Roll with it. And I, I don't know what's I don't know if this is true. It's probably true in America as well, but uh, but here in Canada, Seven Eleven is doing all kinds of stuff now. They they've, they've got pizza delivery, wings sandwiches, it's like it's crazy, it's it's like a full fast food chain now, anyways but um, we'll talk about that another time, but Mike, thanks for calling in, in beautiful San Diego, appreciate you so much, let's go now to James in San Antonio
1: Cleo oh by the way, you're right about, if it's good quality coffee you Uh can drink it black and straight, and it's wonderful I get good quality Ethiopian stuff it's the best black but here's what I called about I gave up coffee last lent completely and it was a it was tough but tough. I got through it got through it and after that I I kind of reevaluated I said you know I don't know if I can do this during lent cuz I don't want to hate lent every year so hmm. I made a decision <laughs> that I'm stick I've done it for a year now I'm going to do mm-hmm. it for the rest of my life I'm old enough to remember when we used to give up meat on Friday, Mm -hmm, and everybody did. That was part of being a Catholic. Absolutely. And then they loosened that up, and they said, oh, okay, you don't have to abstain from meat on Fridays anymore, but do something instead, you Mm. know, in its place, because it's Friday. And I think 98% of Catholics just kind of let that go in one ear and out the other. Hmm. So it occurred to me... Friday mm. give up coffee. Oh, interesting. And okay. I've been doing it for a year. Yep. And it makes Friday a little special and maybe a little bit of a mild cross. Mm. Yeah. But it works for me. It's great. That that's a so good that's, idea.
0: That, yeah. I, I like I like I like that, James. The idea of, of taking whatever your your Lenten penance might be and, and kind of just doing it every Friday. That's not a bad deal. That's not a bad deal at all. And and of course, the discipline of, of fasting as well isn't just for Lent. It, it's something that that can be done throughout the year as well. Hey, James, I really appreciate your call, and appreciate the tip on the Ethiopian coffee. And again, that's that's where it all started, as as we heard before the break. Let's go to Nathaniel in Lewis, Colorado. Hi, Nathaniel.
3: Hi. Yeah, I just want to say here, my wife and I were just fasting every day for Lent. But a few years ago, I gave up coffee for Lent, uh-huh. and I'll tell you what that is. Way harder. That's a hundred times harder <laughs> giving up coffee for Lent than it is the fast every day.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. So you're fasting every day, every day. And what are you doing? Just skipping Except one Sundays. meal every day?
3: Uh, we're doing uh, we're doing the two small meals that don't add up to one meal. But I usually just do one small meal that doesn't equal cool one meal, and then wow, the,
0: uh, every day in Lent. Dinner, man.
3: Except Sundays, which man, I get to take taste of Lent.
0: Wow, well, are you going to be able to keep your weight up? Are you going to be like Christian Bale and The Machinist, where you just go down to you know a shadow of your former self? How, wow, that, that's that's yeah, impressive. I don't
2: think
3: it's it's not that hard actually. I was really surprised. You know, I thought it would be difficult because I love chips. I snack as mm-hmm. soon as I get home. I grab a bag of chips. I but it's not that hard. The coffee mm. is a thousand times harder. Wow, I didn't give wow. up. <laughs> uh,
0: that's incredible i d- I do think though that yeah the the snacking is something that's so easy for people to to get into and, and abuse and what do you well, you've got oh, you're just sitting around you're watching t v oh I gotta eat something while I'm doing this or whatever the case may be It just it's not a good move and and a lot of um a lot of the eating that we do outside of meal times it's try to medicate yourself people medicate themselves with food with uh alcohol and and a lot of the times it's it's to try to try to distract themselves from a problem or an issue that they have in life or in their work or in their relationships that they're just not dealing with. And I'm not saying that you were doing that, Nathaniel, but, but I do think people do tend to go to the snacks for that reason or just absent absentmindedly um, while they're sitting around. And so, hey, Nathaniel, you are a true Catholic in whom there is nothing false, to paraphrase the Bible. A Great, 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 great call. And God yeah. bless you and your wife for doing this.
3: Well, thank you. You're too kind. you are not
0: that great, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all we're all on the journey, man. I appreciate the call. Uh, great call from Nathaniel. Thank you in in Lewis, Colorado. That, that's that's amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Hey, listen. Uh, here's another thing, and I and I said this is about Catholics and cars getting coffee. This is another piece. I, and feel free to call, and we, we can still talk about coffee too. 888-914-9149. This, this is another thing I came across. It was a piece in Fortune magazine. It was originally published uh, in, I think, The Conversation. And it was about a couple of professors and a couple of management scholars that study work-life balance for a living. And they, they talk about, hey, this is actually, it's actually good that if you're commuting to and from work. Now, some of you guys might not agree with this because you're still working from home and you have no intention of going back to commuting an hour or maybe even longer. Uh, but many companies are, are now, they're into this RTO mandate, return to office. And these, these two professors, uh, Matthew uh, Pischeck and Christy McAlpine, uh, originally, again, they were, they were writing this uh, for The Conversation, Um uh, let's see where they, where they actually teach here. Um, hang on, hang on. Matthew uh, Piszczak is an assistant professor of management at Wayne State University. Christy McAlpine, professor of management at Rutgers University in New Jersey. How about that? Um, but they were, they were talking about how the commute gives you something very rare in today's society, according to them. And they call it liminal space. Liminal space. You need liminal space. Now, what is liminal space, you ask? Well, I took the trouble of looking it up for you. Liminal means to occupy a position on one or both sides of a boundary. Okay? So, that's that's one potential definition. And the second one, according to the Oxford Dictionary of English, is relating to a transitional stage of a process. So, a liminal state is... Kind of a transitional state between one place and another, one thing and another. And so it's interesting that they they found that for most American workers who commute, the trip to and from the office takes nearly, on average, a full hour a day, 26 minutes each way. On average, 7.7% of workers spend more than that. That's two hours or more on the road. Now a lot of people think it's a chore; it's a waste of time. But a lot of people—they found this during the pandemic—that a lot of people who were forced to work from home actually missed the commute. They actually missed going to work. And there was a, an account in the Washington Post by one wo- woman who said that, even though she was working from home, she would go out and sit in her car in the driveway, at the end of her workday, in an attempt to try to carve out some personal time and make some sort of a transition marking from work to non-work. So she needed that. She needed that. And so these two management scholars, they started trying to figure this out, what it was that people actually missed when they stopped commuting. And they recently published a study in which they argue that indeed, commuting is a source of liminal space. It's a time and a space that's free of home, it's free of work, and it provides an opportunity to, A, recover from work, and B, mentally switch gears to your home life. I don't know if you guys would agree with this or think this is a good thing or a bad thing. 888 So a lot of people, obviously, when they started working remote, they lost this, and they lost this part of their day. And so they had trouble shifting gears from their work life to their home life. It all kind of got blurred together. And that led to a lot of stress for some people, not for everybody, because let's let's face it, commuting has its own stress, doesn't it? Um, but, but here's the thing. The, the researchers found that without mentally disengaging from work, people tend to experience burnout. If they can't disengage somehow, they're going to get burned out. So even if you are still working from home, you've got to figure out a way to effectively... Disengage, And that's why they think people were missing their commute because they didn't have the opportunity to actually do that. So they started doing all kinds of research on the typical American workers day. And they focused on really two things that happen in your brain. They call it psychological detachment from the work role. And that's when you kind of mentally untangle yourself, disengage from the work role. And then they also looked at psychological recovery from work. So there's detachment from work, and then psychological recovery from work. And what does that mean? It basically means you've got to rebuild your energy, your mental energy, because when you're working, you're obviously, even if you're working in a knowledge profession, it can be tiring, physically and mentally. Doing knowledge work can actually wear you out physically. You know this. If you're thinking really hard, um, and I have to think a lot harder than most people, I'll tell you, but. Uh, it can use up a lot of energy, so they started. These two researchers started developing a model that say you need this liminal space for detachment recovery. And but here's the thing: even if you do have a commute, sometimes it doesn't work. It it doesn't let you recover because if you're, let's say, stuck in a traffic jam, or people are cutting you off, or you're, let's say, taking the subway and you've got to figure out, oh man, when's this train going to come? There's a delay. i got to make sure I get off at the right stop. I don't fall asleep on the, on the subway car. Uh, if you, 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 this is taking up so much of your mental space and attention. It's not really relaxing. It's not really relaxing. Now, best case scenario, you have a chance to maybe sit back on a train or something and just kind of listen to a podcast. Maybe you're listening to Relevant Radio right now, the Clark Show. Whatever you're doing... That can be sort of a a way to rest, relax, recharge. Music obviously works as well on, on that front too. So they they tested these models out on 80 different university employees, morning commutes, evening commutes, and they 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 just basically collected all kinds of data. Were they able to relax during the commute? Whether they felt exhausted when they got home or not, and and, and most people reported that yeah, we use the commute. a liminal space we can mentally transition from work to home we could start recovering from the work day Um, people who had longer commutes interestingly enough actually had higher levels of psychological detachment from work which kind of makes sense you just have more time but on stressful commuting days uh, maybe bad weather or traffic jams they had less psychological detachment less relaxing so one of the things that they that they do say is even if you are going to work from home Try to put some sort of a commute in your life somehow. Now, you could be like that lady in the Washington Post, just kind of sit in your driveway after after work at home and then go back in. But maybe it's better for you just to take a walk. They suggest taking at least a 15-minute walk before you start your home office work and a 15-minute walk at the end of your day just to kind of, again, create that separation. It's a commute, quote-unquote, of sorts. And that can help. And also, if you if you if you are driving, they say, try to take the scenic route, if you can, a less stressful route, maybe it'll help you along those lines. I I don't know what you you guys think about this. But a lot of people, uh, especially on Twitter are not cool with this at all. Uh, There's a there's an entrepreneur on on Twitter by the name of Justin Welsh. And uh, he's uh, he's getting he has quite a few followers and he is not a fan of this. He said, we're now being sold commuting as therapy." He's kind of quoting this article. He says, no, thanks. No, thanks. And other people are saying, maybe there's something wrong with work. If you actually need to psychologically recover from it in the first place. True. Fair enough. Fair enough. If you, if, if you actually are, if it's so stressful that you need to psychologically recover from it, maybe you're in the wrong profession or maybe you're in the wrong position. Um, other people are looking at the time factor another uh, commenter says i feel bad for people who commute 30 or more minutes to work and back that's an hour of your day it amounts to 10 days every year out of your life that's a lot of time spent in a car uh so that's that's a that's that's not that's that's not to be trifled with that that's a really important point that is a lot of time a lot of time out of your life um, others who work from home say, hey, I, I used to walk 30 minutes from Penn Station in New York to my office. Now I just take a 30-minute walk whenever I want to. That's the new commuting. So I don't know. I don't know what you guys think about this. Some people also like just working in a place that's not their home. <laughs> and they like to keep that work life, home life uh, separate. I don't know. I'd love to hear what you think. 888 Call in. We'll be right back. Quick break on The Cale Clark Show.
4: On the road again, just can't wait to get on the road again. Life I love is making music with my friends.
0: How are you aligning your financial plan with your Catholic values? Is your Catholic faith influencing your financial future? Our sponsor, Creative Planning, has options. More info, including disclosures, at creativeplanning.com forward slash catholic focus.
1: This is
5: The Cale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday
2: life.
0: Hey, welcome back to the program. Here's the number to call 888 914 nine one four nine talk to me for free want to hear what you think about commuting as liminal space about catholics and cars drinking coffee are you giving up coffee for lent let's go to dave in san diego california hey dave
4: Hello there. I love your station, man. I don't, I'm not a Catholic. I don't always agree with your your, your dogmas, right? Uh-huh. But you're, you you guys are a refreshing change from a lot of stuff. And I, I'm a coffee drinker from way back. I'm 70. I just turned 72 yesterday. And wow, for coffee. Happy
0: <laughs> Thank Happy you. Happy birthday. That's awesome. <laughs>
4: Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm totally blind. I live up here in Julian, which is like maybe fifty miles east of San Diego, up in the mountains.
0: right? Wow, sounds beautiful. Yeah,
4: and it's like if I went for coffee, I'd never get anywhere. You know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome, Dave. Well, listen, when my dad turned seventy-two, I gave him a, a golf bag with with his with his name engraved on it, and said, you know, Ted Clark, sure. par seventy-two. You know, and I was mm-hmm. like, you guys, you guys start shooting your age now, Dad. But uh, anyways, <laughs> happy birthday to you, Dave. That that is incredible, and and thanks for your kind words about Relevant Radio. It's awesome that you're that you're listening, and I, I I'm so glad. It's it's I love it when when non Catholics listen to the show, and if if they're able to, uh, even if they don't agree with everything that they hear, and they're at least hey willing to listen and checking it out. And if you're finding it refreshing, we're very very thankful for that, Dave.
4: Oh, I tell you, it's great. Yeah, I'm. uh, (laughs) I mean, I mean, it's it's funny because I grew up in Chicago, right? So I had all the snow I'm ever going to want, right? I moved to San Diego because it was warm. Then I moved up here because it was so crowded. I said maybe this will keep it down a little bit.
0: I Mm -hmm. didn't know we were going to market it right. You
4: know, come up and see the snow. You know.
0: Oh wow, that's incredible, Dave. I'm so glad you called in. Call please call back anytime uh, from your mountain views in the beautiful San Diego area. And you've lived in two of my favorite cities in the world, Chicago and San Diego. That, that is just awesome. That was Dave in San Diego. Bless you, man. That, that is great stuff. Great, great stuff here on Relevant Radio. That, that really got me pumped up, that call, almost as much as a cup of joe. Let's go now to Barbara, also in California, in Los Angeles. Hi, Barbara.
5: Hi, Cale.
0: <clears throat> How you doing? Hi. It sounds like you just went out. Are you there? I am. Yep, you're on the air.
5: Okay. Okay. This is great. Um I don't usually call into your show, but I try to try to catch it whenever I can. Oh, First of nice. all, I drink a little bit of coffee, I think moderation and all things. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I wanted to speak about is the transition time. Yeah. This is really interesting because um I was a driver and I've been a, I'm retired now. I had a, I've been a driver many, many years in Los Angeles. I was a driver in New York, but I didn't drive in Manhattan. I commuted mm-hmm. in Manhattan. Okay. okay. And um, so I've been a driver in Los Angeles for years. And then, because of a change in my job, I became a uh, a, uh, participant in public transportation. So I've actually, mm, about 45 years, something like that, in public transportation, a good 25 years driving, something like that. But, yeah, so I've seen a lot of it. But I think this idea, when I made the switch from driving my car to going to public transportation, it was awkward at first because especially in L.A., everybody's yeah. supposed to have a car and you have to kind of go <laughs> through this ego thing. Yeah. But um, it was, a, you know, the, the the drive between where I live and downtown was quite, was pretty intense. You couldn't uh-huh. really space out and kind of get calm unless, you know, you were in a non-trafficked time of day. But when I made the switch over, even though you have to be somewhat attentive on the subways and stuff, mm-hmm. um it was like, I don't have to drive. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not driving. I don't have to have my eyeballs all over the road. I don't have to be in the back mirror, in the front mirror, yeah. you know, even if I close my eyes for a few minutes. Yeah. So so anyway, I just think transition time. And then one more thing. Since I've been retired, I have to, like, create this transition time at home because I am almost like those people who work on their computer, I do do things on the computer, yeah. but it's like there's nothing built in. It's like, you know, when you work, you leave at this time, you go at this time, yeah. you have mm-hmm. to change what you're doing. And uh, so we do have to create something else, and I agree with those researchers, absolutely. I think it's a mental need, a healthy need for a healthy brain.
0: I, I like what you said there, and that's something that I hadn't really thought of or made the connection, but yeah, when, when you're retired, it's, it's almost like you've got the same issue as people working from home in that. I mean, you're obviously doing things that will occupy your time. Most retired people I know are more busy than anybody. They, they often feel like they're busier than when they were working. There's so many things that they're into and things that they've always wanted to do, and spending time with family and maybe even grandkids and stuff like that. But yeah, having those times in your day, even when you're retired, is really interesting too. So, hey, Barbara, thanks for the call. Appreciate you.
5: Thanks. You're for welcome. Time. God yeah. bless you, Kale. Good job. Good job. Well, Thank you. Well,
0: thanks a lot, Barbara. Really, uh, I'm so glad that you called in. And Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, if I had a job downtown where I had to, if I was driving downtown into a major city, I just wouldn't do it. I, I would definitely take public transportation if I could, take the GO train, take the subway, whatever. I, there's no way I would want to sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic. But at Relevant Radio, we do love traffic jams because we know that a lot of people find us, and that's how they find us, on the radio. And uh, we just heard from a gentleman who found us in San Diego. and. Not Catholic, but hey, he likes what he hears. Something different. And we're glad that you're listening wherever you might be to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Let's go to Daniela on the other side of the country in Boston, in Beantown. How you doing, Daniela?
2: I am well. How are you?
0: Great, great. What are your thoughts about um, all this?
2: Oh, my God. I, so I actually ran into Relevant Radio last year. And uh, for Lent, I decided to listen to it every single day. And oh. I got to say, it's wonderful just for a fresh um, view on things. And I like like when they give the news, it's a little bit of everything. And it's more of hmm. the truth than fluffed up with the dramatics of what's everyday <laughs> life. Um, yeah. So I find it very wonderful. And um, I like the show. It's It's great. As well, far as the traffic goes. I believe I mean for me it's very um it's I consider like downtime when I'm leaving work and driving for between 30 to 45 minutes in Boston traffic. Hmm. Um so I find relevant radio very relaxing and soothing and calming.
0: Yeah uh, uh, Danielle
2: period, so thank you.
0: Oh you're welcome. Th- thank you for listening. Uh, let me ask you this Danielle are are you are you catholic yourself?
2: No, okay. Well, I actually that's... grew up in a communist country, um, so oh there was goodness. no religion.
0: Wow, and, um, <laughs> so
2: that, I'm very that's... passionate as far as like free speech,
0: absolutely, and
2: uh, freedom yes. of religion. So,
0: we, we need, yeah, absolutely, no question. Hey, Daniela, thank you so much for listening and thank you for calling in. Wow, what a fun hour it was on the Kale Clark Show. We'll be back again. 23 hours from now. And don't forget the Faith Explained, 1230 Central tomorrow. Timory's up next, followed by Father Rocky, Family Rosary. Take it away, Michaela.
4: Thank you for listening to my daddy.